Fatherhood is fascinating. One day you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Thanks for joining us for Positively Dad. My name's James Shaw. I'm your host. I'm a dad just like you. And uh, I, I so thank you for joining us today. You know, the goal of Positively Dad is to connect with dads and uh, help each other, right? Share new ideas, new strategies, uh, look at the things a little bit differently. Because, you know, like we say, there is no manual, and we're kind of figuring this out. And, you know, when you go on and look, there are so many resources for moms and just not as many for dads. And so our goal is to help dads become great fathers. We also know a lot of moms listen, too, and moms, we want to thank you so much for listening in, and I trust that you get value out of listening. You know, in fact, anybody who listens today is going to get great value. Now, here's the thing that I ask when you choose to listen to Positively Dad, and that is have an open mind. You know, I, I learned one time somebody told me, and they said, you know what, stick out your arm. And in fact, if you, if you can do that right now, do it. Now, if you're driving, don't do this. Stick out your arm, though, palm up, and make a fist. Now, if, if I was with you and I said, hey, I've got stacks of $100 bills that I'd like to give you, could you take them right now? And the answer is no, because your hand is closed. You have a fist. Now, if you've got your hand out, open your hand. And, and when you open your hand, you can, you can feel the tension released from you, and now you would be open to receive the stacks of, of $100 bills if I were with you because your hand is open. And uh, what I'm going to ask you today is to listen from an open position. A lot of times we like to listen from a closed position. Hey, I already know this. I don't need this. I don't believe this. I don't trust this. I think this is hooey, whatever. And today I'm going to ask you to listen from an open one. Be willing to receive something a little bit different. And today what we're going to talk about is racial bias in kids. When does it start? What can you as a parent do about it? I don't think you would have any parent who would tell you that their goal in life is to raise a kid who's racist. Now, I'm not suggesting that your kid is racist or bigoted. What I'm suggesting is each of us might be born with certain tendencies that might make us more comfortable when we hang out with people who look like us. And we have a researcher today who's done the research on that, and he's found that these tendencies, these biases, can start as early as six months old. Now, when I heard about this, I thought, now this is powerful stuff, because if that's the case, if, if a child might show a tendency to want to hang out with people who look more like them as early as six months old, what an amazing thing to learn as a parent, because now... We can do some things about it so that we can, can help our children realize and learn that it's okay to hang out with people who aren't like you. It's okay to learn about other cultures, about, about other races, about other people. And that maybe we might be just born with a bias that if we learn about it early enough, we can change. Now, again, I want to make this very clear. No one is saying that your six-month-old is a racist. No one's saying that your six-month-old is a bigot. What they're saying is your six-month-old might have tendencies, natural tendencies, to want to be around people who he or she recognizes and look more like him or her. So I'm excited to welcome our guest on the show today. He's a professor 
from the University of Toronto, and he's done the research, and, and I appreciate you being, being willing to listen with an open mind. And so our guest today is Dr. Kang Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us on Positively Dad. Thank you for, for inviting me to be on your podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, it's interesting. So when I found your study, I was very surprised. And I imagine that that's what a lot of people share is surprise when they come across this that, okay, it's six months old. We're already showing signs of some type of racial bias. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, I was surprised as well. Um, so the, uh, so my, my work started uh, basically by looking at how you know babies learn about uh, faces from different races and ethnicities. Uh, so I wasn't really interested in whether or not the babies were biased. But uh, as our research progressed, and uh, we discovered that uh, babies start to show some kind of visual bias at a very very young age. I'm talking about uh, three months of age. So they prefer to look at uh, own race faces to other race faces. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's no way we parents from very beginning kind of bias our kids and teach our kids at that young about being biased. So, so we realized it has to come from somewhere else. So one of the main reasons we believed was the uh, faces they see. They see faces mostly of their own race faces. Just this kind of early familiarity make them just prefer to look at their own race faces. So what's interesting is, and I, uh, Dr. Lee, I saw a study or a story that you did an interview you did on a major news organization, and the host almost, you know, was kind of poking fun at this. And they opened with, "Is your baby a bigot?" I mean, you're not saying that your baby is a bigot. That's a, that's a conscious decision. What you're saying is, though, is there's a tendency to stay with, you know, to, to be more comfortable around people that you're comfortable being around. I mean, is that basically what you're saying? Yes, exactly. So I, I'm, I, I think you know, when I say the babies have racial biases, I'm not saying that, you know, they consciously say, hey, you know, I don't like this person. I want to discriminate against this person. I'm going to prejudice, prejudice against this person. Not that. But they just, we have the babies have some kind of biases towards a certain kind of individuals uh, they are not familiar with. And uh, this familiar, unfamiliarity uh, at a very young age may leave the foundation, however, for future uh, explicit uh, biases. So that's where our role as parents come in to help create an environment that doesn't make that happen down the road. And so I, I want to start at the beginning, and that is, you know, you went out and did this study and you kind of discovered some things based on, you know, three months and six months and so on. Tell us a little bit about what, what you guys found in this study as you looked at babies at different ages. Yes. So, so as I mentioned earlier, so we discovered um, uh, at uh, three months of age, babies everywhere uh, tend to prefer to look at own race faces. So not just me, uh, our studies, but others have confirmed that. So then the next step we studied was whether or not babies were able to recognize our own and other race faces. And, you know, we as adults probably have experienced something, you know, uh, some other race individuals, um, uh, uh, the faces are very difficult for us to remember and discriminate. And uh, this is called the other race effect. 
So we thought maybe you know our babies at three months old uh, would have a similar kind of effect, and turned out they had no problem with uh, discriminating faces from any races in the world. So re- regardless of the baby's race, you know, be the baby uh, a Chinese, uh, a Caucasian, a black, and the baby is going to be able to recognize faces from any other, any races in the world. So then, but about three months later, when we test the babies again, and they start to lose the ability to recognize certain other race uh, individuals. For example, a Caucasian baby by six months of age would not be able to recognize, let's say, um, black faces, uh, would not be able to recognize um, uh, South uh, Asian faces, but they still are able to recognize Caucasian faces and Chinese faces. Then we wait for about uh, another three months. By nine months of age, now the baby is no longer able to recognize uh, uh, Chinese faces, black faces, and um, uh, South uh, Asian faces. They only could can re- recognize only Caucasian faces. And this phenomenon uh, occurs everywhere in the world. It just depends if you are Asian babies, you know, Chinese babies then you lose the ability to recognize other race faces by nine months of age. But at three months of age, they are fully capable of recognizing the faces of any other races, any races in the world. Well, this so, changes everything because, I mean, hasn't it, I mean, hasn't it pretty commonly been believed that some sort of bias is something taught, right? That based on exactly. the environment you grow up in, you learn that this group of people is not okay and this group of people is – and while there's probably still some factor of that, the underlying or the, the beginning of that happens much earlier before you really even realize it. Exactly. And as a matter of fact, there are overwhelming studies showing that uh, overwhelming research showing that actually most of the biases are not taught explicitly. So the kids learn from others and from the environment. And the, the, where they learn is, is at a very, very young age not because the parents are creating some kind of racial biased environment for them to become racially biased, but rather just the nature where we are born into makes us somewhat um, discriminating uh, between the things we are familiar with and things that we are not familiar with. So this is true actually even for language. You know, you know, every single baby in the whole world is able to learn any language in the world as soon as the baby is born. And by six months of age, they, they still can learn a lot of languages, but they, their ability is going to narrow. By about 12 months of age, now they cannot hear the, the sounds of many other languages, but their own. So this is just the way how our brain actually, our brain is very smart, because in, 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 in most of the world, babies are born into an environment that only speaks one language, only would have one kind of faces. And therefore, in order for the baby to survive, to learn, to adapt to that environment, it's better you optimize your brain to process information you you encounter on a daily basis. There's no need for you to to have that ability that that you probably are not going to use for the rest of your life. So the only thing that's changing right now is now we have brought, the whole world is becoming more and more globalized and we are going to encounter people from, who speak different languages, 
and who have diff from different racial or ethnic backgrounds. And because of that, and then so the, the, the old way of way learning uh, may come to in conflict with the, the environment we are seeing. Very interesting. So we're talking to Dr. Kang Lee about this study on racial bias, starting with with you know babies, maybe as early as three or six months old. And you're talking about so when we're born, we can learn any language, and then you know within the first year, we've pretty much we're, we've narrowed our opportunity to learn. Did you find that that babies who grow up in multilingual households, so you know we speak more than one language in the household, did you find anything different? based on a potential bias for them, just on the fact that they're learning multiple languages. Mm -hmm, yes, and uh, so recently we found that uh, one, we, we know already babies who are exposed to multiple languages in their environment, they are going to learn and maintain the ability to learn multiple languages. And uh, so they don't, they are, they are, they are, uh, ability to learn languages does not narrow. The same thing is true for racial uh, biases, that is, when ch uh, children are exposed to multiple languages, even though their environment is still monoracial, but somehow the babies are less biased uh, against uh, individuals from other races. For example, they, they tend to learn their faces better, and they don't tend to show less biases against these individuals. Fascinating. So I imagine there are some dads listening that go, well, how in the world do you even know this? I mean, you can't ask a three month old, you know, hey, do you have a do you feel anxiety or have a bias or not like this person based on the color of their skin? So how did you and the rest of the researchers come up with these results? What was the study? So there we did a, a number of studies. So the one study we did involves uh, showing babies happy music or sad music. At the same time, we show them own race or other race faces. And turns out that the babies like to associate happy music with own race faces and uh, sad music with other race faces. So this is actually starts about uh, six months of age and becomes quite strong at, uh, at uh, nine, 10 months of age. Then we did another study in which we had two individuals to teach children about something that's going to happen in their environment. One is own racing individual, the other is other racing individual, both of them the baby is not familiar with. And it turned out the babies are more likely to learn from this own racing individual than the other racing individual. And in particular, when the own racing individual and the other racing individual are not 100% correct, so then in a sense, it's very similar to our parents when we teach kids. Sometimes we don't you know, give kids information 100% correct. But babies tend to say, well, you know, this is my own race individual, and I will give her the benefit of the doubt, and then I'm going to still learn from her. But on the other hand, the other, if the other person, other race person makes a mistake, and the baby say, okay, this person makes a mistake, I'm going to, now going to learn from that person. And so this is how we've been doing studies. So in, in a sense, we don't really ask the child to articulate who they like to learn, the, who, who they don't like to learn, but rather we just watch how they behave to, towards these individuals. It's almost like you're just watching their preferences. Yes, exactly. So that, that's exactly what they were looking at. So finding out, you know, in, to what extent they prefer 
this the own race individual versus the other race individual in various kinds of situations. And so you found that a baby would prefer to to be around, learn from, do things with their own uh, a person of their own race as opposed to someone of another. Yes, yeah, so because for example, they, they like to look at their faces more. They pay more attention to them. They associate uh, positive things with them. They like to learn from them. You know, so these are kind of the early kind of biases uh, that set the, the the emotion, the later of more explicit biases that the child may have, let's say, in the preschools or in the uh, in the elementary school. So, and this, what's fascinating to me about this. Dr. Lee, and again, we're talking to Dr. Kang Lee about a study on racial bias. And what's interesting to me is, look, you're you're not saying that you have parents who are purposefully raising children to have a bias or to be racist or to be bigoted. This is just happening. And without any awareness that this is natural, right? This is just some natural uh, thing that happens, uh, you know, in some fashion, without some understanding of that, you might be creating a situation that you have to fix later without even realizing it. Exactly. That, that's exactly what I was saying, actually, at the Tucker Carlson's show. And I, I don't know why he didn't like that. But uh, the, the, the notion really is, you know, I, I don't think we parents and, or, or our, and most of our societies are created in such a way to, to, uh, to foster racism. But the, the environment that the child is encountering, and there's a natural tendency for us to actually prefer something that's familiar. And that we do things, like to do things with something that's familiar. So the baby, this is actually very natural, it's called the neophobia. Babies just hate to eat novel things, and that smell novel things. And these are, this actually is good for survival. And uh, so it's very natural for us to have these in-group biases against our other groups. So this is probably the result of a long history of evolution. And that allows us to stick together and learn together from those own in-group members. So this is, so there's, there's nothing taught explicitly by the, the elders or by the parents. So I want to make that point across very, very clear to, to the dads. So yes. this is not, you are doing it consciously. However, right. it does not mean that, this is what I said actually at uh, Carlson's show, that you, it uh, does not mean that you say, okay, that's just natural, that's, let's not deal with it. The, the thing about this is you, as a parent, can easily create an environment that to expose your child to as many languages as possible at a very young age, and to expose your child to as many kinds of people as possible at a very young age. And by doing so, you kind of lay the foundation for your child to, to live an unbiased life. But we're going to be always biased, so there's no doubt about it. This is just human nature. But however, we can actually foster an environment to make our child less biased, be it language or uh, you know, a race and many other food, for example, and things like that. Yes. So what was it really interesting about this is, again, this is not something that's being purposefully taught and that there was likely a time 
in the world where this was a benefit to babies as they were born, you know, many, 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 many years ago that just is now we're becoming aware of and we can change. And what, what really intrigued me about your study was it reminded me of a time, and, and, and the listeners know I have a first grader, so maybe about three years ago, we had gone to New York uh, for an event and we got to visit a friend of mine who's a dear friend of mine from high school. And uh, we hung out with her and visited with her and my daughter, who is traditionally very social um, and, and very kind to people, was just different that day. And so when we were done visiting, I asked her, I said, you know, Naomi, how are you doing? Is everything all right? And she said, yes. And I said, well, you were you were very quiet. Hmm. And she said, well, daddy, your your friend scared me. And I said, really, she scared you. Tell me about that. Well, Daddy, her face was very dark, and that scared me. And mm. I was just blown away. I was absolutely blown away that the fact that that we were hanging out with a friend of mine who happens to be black and we're white scared her. And and I think now maybe your study is giving me a little bit of hope that I didn't teach her to do that, um, that that was just something that happened. And I have a responsibility, though, as a parent, to introduce her to people who don't just look like us. Mm. Yes, that's indeed. That's it. That totally has, I would say, has almost nothing to do with the parents. So the parents should not, not be embarrassed by this. So let me tell you this. We've been collecting data everywhere in the world. We, we, we basically give kids scenarios. And the, you know, these are the, you know, we typically do these kind of studies with the kids three years and above. So we just give, tell them, you know, we say, okay, you know, this summer, your mom is going to take you to a, a summer camp and to learn swim. Here are two, you know, these are the coaches, you know, uh, which one would you like to, to, to pick as your coach, swimming coach? And then we, we basically have different photos, you know, one may be black, one may be Chinese, one may be Caucasian. And uh, most of the uh, Caucasian, uh, kids would pick uh, the Caucasian coach, and most of the black kids would pick the black coach. Most of the Chinese uh, kids would pick the the, uh, the the Chinese coach, and just like we, you can vary this kind of scenario, you know, in many many different ways. You can do tour guide, English teacher, um, music teacher. You can do a chef, whatever you, you choose. The results are almost the same. That they would like to pick someone that they are familiar with. Of course, that person typically is someone they are familiar with will be their own race individuals, be it that person a doctor, a teacher, a firefighter, a police person, anyone. So, so the, 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 your, your daughter's story tells you about something that we parents actually can do something about. That is by introducing your child to different kind of people. You don't yeah, have so to my... you know, make friends. So no, you, you're lucky you have a friend, right? Many of people, parents may not have a, let's say, other race friend, mm. but you can still introduce your child to uh, different kinds of people. Okay, so that's what I'd like to go to next, because I think you probably have dads listening. And the thing is, we're going to have dads that are dads-to-be, dads with babies, dads with elementary students, you know, middle school, high school, all across the board. And so I'd love to walk through some of this on on just some strategies to help a dad who goes, whoa, you know what? I get that, that this is not on me and I can help my child become more comfortable with people who don't look like us. And I think if you ask just about any parent on the planet, 
Would you want your child to be accepting of all people? They're probably going to say yes. Yeah. So, so what are some strategies? And maybe if you even need to break it down by age, what are yeah. some strategies we can use as parents to help just teach and 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 show our children's and create a posture of acceptance? Yes. Um. So, so for 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 let's say for uh, kids under two uh, two years of age. So I, I think one of the things that parents can start, the dads can start as soon as you can, is to expose your child to different linguistic sounds. So by basically, you know, you play, you, if you watch uh, um, shows, you know, you, you can watch shows with subtitle English titles, but someone may be speaking Spanish, Chinese, Japanese, and uh, so, or French. So the idea is to keep your child's ability alive, the ability to learn language alive. And that is one of the earliest things you can do. If you, if you really want it, you do it before the child is born. So you can play uh, different languages, uh, uh, tapes actually, um, to, the, to the fetus. And that's, but the, the timing is about 32 gestation weeks of age. So too early, they, the fetus couldn't hear. But after 32 weeks of gesta uh, gestation, the baby started to be able to hear sound. And so that could be a, a, a time for you uh, to converse with your baby yourself, but also by introducing different languages to, to, to the fetus. And then after the child is born, you should continue this practice. And the, the, the more languages the child is exposed to, Actually, the better the child is going to learn language as well as with reduced biases. So that's number one. Um, number two is, of course, by telling your kids stories about people from all over the world. And even you think that could be the case, but unfortunately, that's not the case in every household. When we read children, uh, children our babies' books, we don't really, we tend to um, unconsciously, we tend to pick the books that are representing your own your culture, which is a good thing. But at the same time, if you introduce other kind of books to your babies, that will be very useful. And the same thing is true by showing pictures of people from different other races or ethnicities. And just by exposing your child to various kind of diverse kind of uh, people and cultures and languages, and food, by the way, you also need to introduce your child to different kinds of food. That so they should eat more. Doc, so, so real quick, they should eat more than just chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you should have sushi. You know, even your oh. kids sushi, uh, spicy food, and all that kind of stuff. But, but these are the things that the baby actually born with taking any kind of food, any kind of uh, sound. But the way as a parent should kind of you know, keep their ability alive. And music as well, by the way. Okay, so exposing to books and, um, and music with different languages in it and uh, watching shows that show people of, of different cultures and, and skin colors and different languages. Yeah. What else can we be doing to really kind of create just uh, an awareness around this? Yes. So one of the things that we, I would say we should not do and this is what I noticed the, 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 the problem of our typical everyday conversation is we tend to categorize people, use a categorical language to refer to people. 
So we say, even for babies, okay, I'm not talking about older kids, I'm talking about babies. So when we say things like, oh, here comes a black person, here comes a Chinese person, and that actually, you teaching your, your baby to categorize people by something. And because the skin tone is very easy for the child baby to see, therefore the baby will latch onto that. They say, oh, you know, these kind of people with this kind of skin tone are called the Chinese or called the blacks. But rather, you, you, the best thing to do is to individualize them. So this, here comes Mary, here's, here comes uh, Mike, and here comes Peter. Something like that. By individuating these individuals, that your child starts to learn about these individuals and not try to automatically categorize people by certain kind of uh, uh, features, be it food or, or, or language or, or, or skin tone. What have you found with travel? So that if you travel around the country or around the world, have you noticed any change as far as the, uh, you know, just based on how much a child may travel? Yes, yeah, this, uh, traveling, uh, exposing the child through traveling, of course, is, is a luxury for many dads. But if you can do it, it will be fantastic by, you know, making friends uh, that are not in your familiar circles. And you get to know other people and, uh, and then individual other people. And by doing so, and that also keeps your, uh, the, the original ability alive. So the ability to recognize everybody in the whole world by their individual, by their face, uh, you know, is, is something we, we are born with. So by, by exposing diversity uh, to your child, that actually keeps your child all these abilities alive. So we've talked a lot about teaching for babies and before school age. Would you have any different recommendations for parents of school age children? Yes. Uh, so again, so the the number one thing is again not use these racial labels, um, but rather referring to people by their individual names, and that's very important. But the, when the, the child gets to pass seven years of age, they actually become quite uh, aware of fairness of the negativity of racial bias. So at, at that point, I think it's it's a good for that to talk about uh, you know, racism and its impact on people's lives. And uh, so explicit discussion about this, about talking about the moral uh, negativity of racism, I think is very helpful, as well as to talk about the, the, the impact of racism on kids, uh, on, other, on, the, on people with the minorities, for example, on the people who receive racial biases and that the kid can stand because they are developing very quickly the ability to empathize with people when they suffer. So, so, so in, in the elementary school years, that to me, that is another important thing for, for parents to do, for dads to do, is to talk about explicit. Don't not talk about it. Most of us, most parents, like, do not talk about it. It's, a, it's a, something that's out there but we actually do not talk about that. I'm, yeah. I'm saying it because I know it, because we studied this. So we know parents hardly ever talk about race at home. But don't, well, we don't ignore it, right? Yeah, don't, do not start the conversation before elementary, uh, elementary school years, but do it afterwards. After elementary school years. I've, I've, heard, I've often heard people, usually white people, who will say they don't see color, which to me sounds like 
that 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 doesn't make any sense to me. How can you not see it? So to that it, it instead becomes ignoring it, which doesn't work either. So how would exactly. you? What would you recommend? Like, how do you have this conversation about it? Because if you don't talk about silence is agreement. So if if there's some type of racial situation going on and we're in a heightened sense of this right now in the world and in our in, in, in the United States, and if and if you just don't talk about it, then to me, that's agreement. So if you aren't talking about some sort of racial issue with your children, then then that's an issue. And to say that you don't see color, that doesn't really make any sense either. So how would you have a conversation about racism with an elementary student? Yes. So, so I think the, 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 the two things. So the one is we call the positive exemplars. So if you have opportunity, uh, you should uh, introduce your kids about individuals uh, for other ethnic groups that your child is not very familiar with yet. You know, by uh, by introducing positive stories about them, so not because sometimes in the media and they depict certain ethnic groups as being terrorists, as being poor, as being such and such negative. But instead, we as parents should introduce as many as possible exemplars of the other ethnic groups or racial groups who are doing extremely well. And they, are, they show positive role models for our kids. So that's number one. Number two, again, I want to emphasize, do not talk about these individuals by their racial labels, but rather by their individual names. So that's number two. Number three is talk about the consequences of negativity of racial biases. And there the, the are many, many of them. Let me just give you one single Example. So people studied um, doctors when they prescribe drug, pain med- medicines to black people and white people in the United States. What they found was the, uh, the doctors, regardless of your white or black, tend to prescribe the um, less uh, pain-killing medicines to, um, to black patients. Why? Because implicitly, they think that the blacks can tolerate pain more than what the whites. Okay, so this is the, this this study has been replicated several times now. But to my surprising, so the a friend of mine did a study uh, in in, uh, in Virginia, and they found that the white uh, five year olds had have the same idea as adults that the black people can tolerate. Are paying more than white people, so so the, so the, the, they are, you think about the consequences. The consequences is that you know you you practice medicine and you actually you have this implicit bias, and then you practice your medicine differently, and then you make the the, the black patients suffer more than white patients. So kids do understand the consequences of this. They I think they are going to be able to sympathize. With, with with the sufferings of the the uh, the consequence of these biases, and therefore they may become more conscious about this because they really want a, a you know fair and just world. If you talk to kids, these are the things kids care about: you know, fair, fairness, and just. 
Yeah, being fairness and, and just, I appreciate it. Dr. Lee, you've educated us so well today. I appreciate you taking time out to do this. As we wrap up, I'm just curious, is there anything else that, that you know, maybe something I haven't asked you about that you believe these dads should know when it comes to race, racial bias and, and their kids? I think it's what, what really is also surprises me is that um, uh, with or without parents' input, uh, many of our kids, when they grow up, get to teenager years, they become much less racially biased than younger kids, than preschoolers. They also sometimes become much less biased than adults. So that makes me very, very, very good about, feel very good about them. You know, typically we, we have negative views about teenagers, but actually as a whole in the United States or everywhere else, the teenagers actually have, have more um, moral righteousness in them. And, uh, and then they, they do see the negativity of racial biases and then they tend to be less biased themselves. And you can have some influence on that earlier on just by following some of the tips that you gave us today. Yes, indeed. Yeah, right. Great. Awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Again, thank you to Dr. Kang Lee, University of Toronto, for sharing that research with us. And I want to thank you for listening with an open mind. And, and I'm going to share with you kind of what I heard from this. And that was, again, um, we're not, he's not saying that any of our children are racist or, or, or bigoted, that they're just born with a natural bias, in most cases, to want to be around people who look like them and sound like them. And what an aha for me as a parent to think about how we can help. And the reason why this interview interested me is because of the story that I shared when talking with Dr. Lee about when we had a chance to hang out with a friend of mine. And I was shocked, quite frankly, at how Naomi responded to that. Now, we've been with her many times since then, and it's been normal and fun. In fact, the last time we were together, they had a great time. It did, though, make me aware of something, and that was, hey, I looked around, and most of the people we hung out with looked like us. So, of course, she would be uneasy. So what could we do? And Dr. Lee mentioned books, and that's what we went right to right away. And there's three different book series that I'd like to share with you that I think might offer some help. And you keep in mind, I'm a first grader, so the stuff that I'm talking about is going to be geared, you know, to her age and younger. One of the books would work for just about any age. The first is a very popular set of books that you've probably heard of. It's Ordinary People Change the World. And it's a great series where they go and look at people from all over the world. I have, we have one about Gandhi. We have one about Amelia Earhart. You have Abraham Lincoln, uh, Rosa Parks, Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King, Sacagawea, George Washington. I mean, there's so many examples of so many different people of different races and cultures in those books where they just tell their story. One of Naomi's favorites is the one on Rosa Parks. And, you know, the conversations that we've had with her about what Rosa Parks experienced and what that generation experienced and how some of that kind of still rolls over now um, has been very, very helpful. There's another book that we got. Uh, it's called Can You Say Peace? It's by Karen Katz. And again, we're going to have links to this all on the resources page at PositivelyDad.com. And the idea behind that one is it's International Day of Peace. And you're learning how to say peace in multiple languages. And she learns to say it, and you see, you know, people and children of those cultures and races. India, there's a student from America, someone from Japan, 
Australia, um, Mexico, and so on and so forth, right? And, and so it gives her a chance again to learn another, you know, learn a word in another language and, and see, you know, other cultures and pictures of those countries and see what people look like and just have a chance to go, hey, there's a bunch of different people around the world. And then another one we picked up, there's two series of this particular book, and it's called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. There's a, a, a sequel to it as well, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls 2. And this has just one-page stories of women from all over the world who have done so many different things. One of my favorites is the first female doctor from Mexico and what she went through to earn the opportunity to become a, do a doctor in Mexico. So there's just so many resources out there. Those are three, and I'm sure you have some as well. In fact, I'd love to hear them. You can share them on any of our social media pages um, you know, on, on Instagram, Twitter, or, or Facebook at Positively Dad, or email them to me, james at positivelydad.com, and we'll get those out to everybody. So again, I appreciate you being willing to have an open mind, and of course, I do value your feedback as well, so I would love to hear it. And now it's time for everyone's favorite part, really, of Positively Dad, and that is the Kids Corner. This is where uh, I invite my daughter, my first grader, her name is Naomi, to just share with you whatever she'd like to talk with you about. And today, what she said she'd like to talk with you about is what to do when you meet somebody new. What are the kids thinking? Time to find out in the Kids Corner with your host, Naomi. Hi, I'm Naomi, and today we are going to talk about, well, my dad already told you, so let's get started with that. Um, so when you meet someone new, you should say, hi, my name is Naomi, or whatever your name is. Or you could shake hands or ask to be friends. That's it for the Rams Corner. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Good advice from a first grader. Just introduce yourself or shake hands, right? And maybe ask if you can be friends. Wouldn't it be great, though, if that's what we did? We smiled, introduced ourselves, shook hands, and said, hey, can we be friends? Just imagine what kind of place we live in. You know, I appreciate you again listening today and, and having an open mind and just being interested in a different perspective. You may agree with it. You may not. I just appreciate you being willing to, to learn today. Uh, so that's it for Positively Dad today, and we trust that you've enjoyed listening. We'd love to hear from you, so if you would, would you rate us on whatever platform you're listening in and maybe even write a review? Send us your feedback as well. We'd love to hear it, james at positivelydad.com. Follow us on all the social media networks that you use, at Positively Dad. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, we'd love to connect with you. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.